0: Our sermon text for today is found in Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. He went out again besides the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. He rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. According to Realtor.com, in the year 2021, more than 200,000 people moved to the state of Florida. U-Haul, the moving truck truck, company also posted their numbers for 2021 and number three on their list of one-way drop-offs were the cities of palm bay and melbourne one of those trucks was mine why are so many people coming to florida well certainly the weather helps i'm sure many have come here chasing dreams the economy warmth Lifestyle, politics. But ultimately, people will go whatever they believe their needs will be met. This is true in the small decisions in life. This is true in the big decisions in life. This is true also in the spiritual realm. This is why you're here this morning. Last week, we saw... Jesus healing a paralytic. But Jesus' primary focus was not to heal him from his paralysis. For physical healing has an expiration date. Instead, Jesus primarily forgave his sins. And friends, there is no greater need we experience in life than to have our sins forgiven by Jesus. And this is why so many are attracted to Jesus. As we have been working through Mark, we keep witnessing unexpected encounters with Jesus. Jesus had an encounter with a demon in the synagogue, and that demon knew exactly who Jesus was. He's come into contact with the leper. Who, instead of contaminating and defiling Jesus, was cleansed by Jesus. As I just mentioned, faithful paralytic and his faithful friends who ultimately needed forgiveness for their sins. Today, Jesus will meet a tax collector. This has been building up to this point. Actually, he will meet many. Tax collectors and sinners. He actually won't just meet them, he will enjoy them. He will enjoy spending time with them to the point that he will be called the friend of sinners. But today, Jesus will also meet a group of men who are sinners. But they are completely unaware. Unlike the tax collectors, they don't follow Jesus. They criticize Jesus. And their spiritual blindness keeps them from seeing their greatest need. Their desperate need to be counted as a friend of Jesus. Friends, Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive all and every sin. But Jesus will only forgive those who love him more than they love their sin. Jesus will only forgive those who love him more than they love themselves. There are two categories of sinners in the world. There are the sinners who are aware of their sins, and there are the sinners who are unaware of their sins. And we're going to meet them today. So let's consider first in our text, Jesus meeting the sinners. Last week, Jesus was in a crammed house, right? People everywhere, all the way to the door. So much so that the paralytic he met did not come through the door, But his friends removed the roof of the house and lowered him in. That was likely Peter's and Andrew's home. This was likely the home where Jesus lived during his time in Capernaum. This week, the scene continues. But now, he leaves the house and finds open space, likely because the crowds were too large. So he goes to the Sea of Galilee. It is impossible to miss the emphasis that Mark has been making since the beginning of his gospel. At the center of what Jesus does is his teaching. But curiously, we have heard very little of Jesus' teaching so far. What was Jesus' teaching the crowds what was the content of his teaching and what and why doesn't mark tell us more about what jesus taught well he has back in chapter 1 he gives us the summary of his teaching actually he gives us the heart of jesus teaching repent and believe the gospel in essence Everywhere Jesus went, this was his message. Repent and believe the gospel. This was the way to his kingdom. The way to Jesus' kingdom is the way of repentance and the way of belief. Friends, Jesus' ministry was powerful because he was masterful at getting to the heart of the matter. Jesus was masterful at not major, majoring in minors and minoring in majors. Jesus didn't get sidetracked by the secondary issues. He was interested. He was not interested in the popularity they had gained with the crowds. He was not persuaded by the legalism of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus focused on the gospel. Jesus focused on the message that there is hope for the sinner, there is hope for the outcast, there is hope for the religious outsider, there is hope for anyone who will draw near to him. This is an important reminder for our church and for ourselves. A church that reaches the lost maximizes the gospel and minimizes Everything else. Our calling is to proclaim the message of reconciliation and love those who will hear it. Our calling is not to build a monastery for ourselves and for our children, but to build a hospital. A hospital for the sick. A hospital for the needy. And to model to our children a willingness to go into the world and by the power of the gospel rescue the soul of sinners. We're not surprised when sinners come into our midst. We do not seek to segregate ourselves from sinners because if we try to do that, we would have to segregate ourselves. From ourselves, It is dangerous to be a sinner unaware. Jesus preached an unpopular message that emphasized sin and the need to change. And yet, his message was so appealing to sinners. In verse 14, we meet one of these sinners. As Jesus passed by, a toll booth, a, a common site in early first century Palestine, probably located on the main road where much of the commerce from the Sea of Galilee took place. There in this booth sat a man called Levi. We're told that he's the son of Alphaeus. He's not the only disciple of Jesus who has a father called Alphaeus, that was a common name in first century Palestine. But you know this man as Matthew, the writer of the first gospel. Why did he change his name? We're not sure. Probably because the reputation that he had as a tax collector was not helping him. This is the only time Jesus calls one of his disciples in the gospel of Mark, and he is alone. Mark lived a segregated life. The interaction is as brief as an interaction can possibly be. Jesus says, follow me, and Levi obeys. That's it. That's what we're looking at today. Now, why doesn't Mark give us more detail about the interaction? Uh, Luke certainly fills in the interaction a little bit more in in his account in Luke 4. There's much more here to this interaction than meets the eye. The details of the interaction are not explicitly told us in the text, but they're clearly Implied tax collectors in the first century in first century Israel were often Jews who purchased the rights from the Romans to tax their fellow Jews. Now they would pay Rome a flat rate so that they could exercise their vocation, so their profit was basically whatever they could extort beyond the amount that they were due. So they would remove the amount they were due to Rome, and whatever they charged extra that they would keep. Early Jewish historians would tell us that taxpayers would move into cities like Capernaum, poor, and they would die rich, very rich. Tax collectors were hated by everyone, often not too different from how we feel today, right? Who loves the IRS but the IRS himself or itself? Tax collectors were considered unclean. Not unlike the leper we met a couple of weeks ago, but the difference is that the leper was unclean by no fault of his own. This is more serious. Levi. Levi chose his life. Levi sold his soul to Rome. Levi is a turncoat. Who oppresses his own people. The word tax collector was often used as a synonym for the filthiest of sinners. Sinners when Jesus explains the process of removing an unrepentant sinner from the ecclesia, from the church in Matthew 18, he says, Consider them like the Gentiles or the tax collectors, those who are outside of the covenant. A tax collector would be forbidden to enter the synagogue. They were often abandoned by their family. And they were not even able to witness at a court of law for their word should not be trusted. Just like with the leper, the simple fact that someone would associate with a tax collector or speak to them or be found under the same roof as them would make that person unclean and unable to participate in temple worship Or synagogue gatherings. So, this interaction is not simple at all. There's so much more to this interaction than meets the eye. This is the underlying context of the interaction between Jesus and Levi. As Jesus walked by, many people probably even asked... Will he even address him? Careful, Jesus. Don't get too close. He will defile you. Careful, Jesus. Holy people like you don't associate with filthy men like Levi. Careful, Jesus. What will others think if they see the two of you together? Careful, Jesus, you're going to get canceled. But Jesus doesn't listen to the wisdom of the world. Jesus, as usual, broke with the cultural and religious norms of his time in order to give hope to the hopeless, to give honor to the despised, to reconcile the sinner to himself. How could Jesus associate with a sinner like Levi? How could Jesus risk defiling himself in such a way? And the answer is that Jesus can associate with sinners because Jesus has the power and authority to give sinners that which they most need. Forgiveness. Jesus' encounter with sinners is like the encounter of light with darkness. You know, when I was a kid in elementary school, my school put together a field trip to a cave in Rio where I grew up. And the guide wanted us to see or not to see what a cave looked like without any lights. So he tells a bunch of elementary school age kids to turn off their flashlights Now you can can tell that this guy did not spend a lot of time with elementary school kids. That was a futile pursuit. One kid would simply not do it. And that one stubborn flashlight kept us all from the darkness we so desired. Friends, when light Faces darkness, light always wins. This is the messianic promise. This is the promise that, that Levi, Matthew, w- was waiting for. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness, that's Levi. That's you. That's me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Levi, named after one of the sons of Jacob, clearly a Jewish man, walked in darkness. But the light of the world called him out of the domain of darkness into his own kingdom. Friends, this is how the gospel works. It is powerful unto salvation. Here's how the gospel works. Jesus calls, and we respond. Jesus says, Follow me, and we obey. Follow me. This is not merely an invitation for a walk in the park. Follow me is a command to forsake all else and to pursue Christ alone. In the account of the same story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, chapter 5, we learn that Matthew left everything. Luke adds that. Matthew left everything and followed Christ. There's no other way to follow Christ. You, You cannot bring a part of your old life and say, I follow Christ. You cannot embrace Christ partially. Christ is not an item in the grocery store that you add to your vast shopping cart. Either Christ dominates your entire life or He has no part with you at all. Levi had much, but he let go of all in order to gain Christ. Philippians 3, 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth. Jesus is better. Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Friends, Christ is not an addition to a life that is going just fine. Christ rescues sinners from their perennial pilgrimage to the pit of hell. Christianity is not a shortcut to heaven or an easier way to get there. No, friends, Christianity is a U-turn from earthly wisdom and selfish pride to Christ. His way, His will, His kingdom— And not ours. Jesus' call to Levi here seems simple and plain. but cultural and religious overtone were beyond shocking. A commentator calls it the scandal of grace. That Jesus would call one who had no credibility. Couldn't even speak in court because his word could not be believed. And he would disciple him. And he would cause him to be a witness of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then would tell him, you go and you be a witness of me to the world. Jesus is able to find beauty in ashes. In 2020, we started seeing the popularization of what we call cancel culture. The basic premises of cancel culture is if you or anyone or or any of your positions that you hold offend me, I must purify myself from you. I must segregate myself from you. And I must make sure that everyone else does the same. But there's nothing new with canceled culture. Levi was canceled. That's what we see here. He was too sinful to be counted as worthy of God's mercy. He was too sinful to be among the religious elites. But friends, when cancel culture meets Christ, Christ wins every time. No one that forsakes all things and follows Christ will be canceled. The world may try to cancel us, but Christ welcomes us. Here are the words of the great Wesleyan hymn. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. He who the blood of Christ sets free cannot be canceled by anyone or anything. It matters that we are accepted by Christ. Let the world forsake us, but give us Christ. Friends, we are all like Levi, aren't we? We're not too clean. We know it. Sometimes we may give the appearance that we are, but we know our thoughts, we know the inclinations of our hearts, we know our tendencies. Levi stands as a representative of who we are. But it's good to be like Levi. Because Levi has a friend called Jesus. And Jesus didn't come to call Levi because he's righteous. He came to call Levi because he loves him. And that's hope for us. Because Jesus didn't come to us because we were good. Or because we were righteous. Or because we were doing the right thing. No. We're like that tax collector sitting in that booth turning on our own people, filthy, unworthy of coming to God and worshiping him. That's where we were. But Jesus, out of love, looks at us and says, follow me. And friends, if we have heard the voice of Jesus through his spirit, we've been saved. We've been saved out of Levi. Our identity is no longer that of a filthy sinner, but one who is dressed in righteousness. A righteousness that is completely alien to ourselves, that is completely foreign to us. It is the righteousness of Christ that's the only thing that counts. Friends, you will not stand one day before God and tell Him how many times you miss church. You can count in one hand. You will not stand before God and tell him how often you read your Bible or how much money you gave. If that's what you say before God, God will say, apart from me, because all your works are unrighteousness. But if you stand before Christ, before God and say, I have a friend, his name is Jesus. God will accept you because Jesus takes that which is his and gives that to us, his righteousness. That's the only work that counts. Nothing else counts unto salvation. And then Jesus takes that which is not His and puts it on Himself. That is our sin. He pays for it in full and cries out, it is finished. And that, friends, is why we worship Him. Because we know that when we stand before Him, our sins are not accounted against us, but instead the righteousness of Christ. That's what Levi Experienced. Friends, Paul says that he is the chief of sinners, and mercy was shown to him so that he could be an example to us. It is true of us that we too are the chief of sinners. But, friends, even the chief of sinners can receive mercy in Christ. But you have to abandon your life, you have to abandon any reliance on righteousness. You must leave everything behind and follow Christ. That's what Levi teaches us. That's what Jesus offers us. This is the beauty of the gospel. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes. That's what we're called to do. Believe. Believe in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith counted to him as righteousness. Friends, we need righteousness and we only receive it by faith. We do not work for it. Jesus offers it to you today. We met the sinners that are aware of their sins. But now let's meet the sinners who are unaware. There are sinners and then there are sinners unaware. Being a sinner is a big problem. But it's much worse being a sinner unaware. One of the most entraping powers of sin is the power of blindness. Second Corinthians 4.4 In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is exactly what it means to be a sinner unaware. A sinner unaware is blinded to their sin, and most importantly, a sinner unaware is blinded to his greatest need, Christ. This blindness is a product of pride. And one of the greatest motivations for pride, listen to this warning, Central Baptist Church, one of the greatest motivations for pride is religious zeal. Scribes and Pharisees believed they would be saved by segregating themselves from the scourge of sinners. The more, righteous they could f- the more righteousness they could find in religion, the more they saw themselves through the lenses of spiritual superiority. They added so many requirements around the law of Moses that they completely obscured the purpose and the hearts of, of God's perfect law. The more they obey their man-made laws, the greater their boast, the greater their boast, the further from God. Their religiosity created no regeneration, no relationship with God. John MacArthur calls their practices apostate Judaism. When they saw Jesus, Their apostate faith was revealed, and they hated him for that. The law of God should never lead us to attempt to justify ourselves. The law of God should lead us to Christ. Christ fulfills the law and grants to us by faith the righteousness from the law. It is interesting that the ones who come to Christ in these stories are the ones who really do a lousy job keeping the law. Tax collectors and sinners are said to follow Christ in our text. But scribes and Pharisees are never said to be followers of Christ. In verse 15, Levi prepares a feast for Jesus in his house. Jesus is found reclining at the table with him along with other tax collectors and sinners. Because tax collectors were excluded from society, they would often bond with others who were ostracized as well. So this party at Levi's was a gathering of the most despised sinners in society. Thieves, extortionists, prostitutes, and many others. A fellowship of felons. And Jesus, reclining at the table, feels perfectly comfortable in this environment. Does this sit well with you? does it make you a little uncomfortable how comfortable sinners felt around Jesus? It does me. But that's because so often I forget that I am one of those sinners. I often forget that if I were in that gathering, I would rather be with Jesus than judging Jesus. This is why, friends, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Our righteousness is not our own doing, but we often believe it is. We believe our many years of Christianity, our ability to deny some worldly vices, our political and social causes, secure God's favor towards us. But we forget our pride. We forget our anger towards our neighbor. We forget our lust. We forget our laziness and complacency. The list goes on. We forget we're sinners in need of a savior And the gospel is our only hope to remember. The message of the gospel is for believers because we never outgrow our need for Christ. Every morning you wake up and you look at yourself in the mirror. You've already seen the most needy sinner you will see that day. But the scribes and Pharisees were blinded to this reality. We saw the scribes last week, right? Scribes were teachers of the law and believed the messianic kingdom would come through their obedience and purity. And in their eyes, Jesus was a terrible candidate for a Messiah. They see the scene at Levi's house and they grumble against Jesus. They, they ask Jesus' disciple. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus hears them and responds to them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. What a phenomenal response. Jesus always comes for those who recognize their need for him. So one of the reasons why women live longer than men is because women will actually go to the doctor for reasons other than, I am literally about to die. Right? You know that? But we recognize, yeah, I don't want to make a caricature out of this, we recognize that men often uh, work longer, longer hours outside, more dangerous jobs, right? Uh, the vast majority of men, uh, the vast majority of police officers, firefighters, uh, armed forces are men. So I'm not making a caricature of this. But man, we know, right? We have to be dying to go to the doctor. While we know our wives, daughters, moms, and Friends, they go to the doctor all the time, right? One time I went to the doctor, and the doctor asked me, which woman in your life told you to come to see me? And I told him, my wife, my mom, and my mother-in-law. So all of the above. In a few years, my daughter. Just as a doctor will physically help those who will come to him, Jesus, the great physician of the soul, will help those who recognize their need for him. Now question, who was Jesus speaking about when he said he came for the sick and not for the righteous? Who is righteous? No one is righteous. Jesus came both both for the scribes and for the tax collectors. Jesus came for both the sinners and sinners unaware. Here, Jesus was actually giving the scribes an opportunity to recognize their spiritually diseased souls. And this is why spiritual blindness is so dangerous. Because religiosity can give us the appearance of health to a degree that we even deceive ourselves. This is often made evident when we find assurance in our spiritual condition by comparing ourselves to others. You know the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Friends, our standard of righteousness is not the tax collector next to us. It is not the sinner next door. Our standard of righteousness is Christ himself. We need Christ because we can't be Christ. But because of Christ's finished and vindicated work, because he died and rose again, it is true that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Here's the key, friends. Grace is the key. Grace is a completely unmerited favor we receive as a gift from God. Now, the word completely is key. Because no deed outside of Christ will work together for our salvation. As a matter of fact, when we try to justify ourselves apart from Christ and try to add Christ to that, it doesn't work. It is condemnation because we say that Christ's work is not enough. Grace demands a complete abandonment of any reliance on self. Follow me. And we leave everything and follow Christ. Grace reveals where our faith falters and points us to Christ. Grace creates humility in our hearts and an understanding that at the foot of the cross we are all equal. Grace trains us unto godliness And unto Christ's likeness. If you were at this scene, where would you be? I mean, we know we're not Jesus. Now, don't put yourself as an indifferent observer. That's a terrible place to be. Would you be with the scribes? Or would you be with the tax collector? We all have some of both in ourselves, don't we? I asked you this question, but it ultimately doesn't matter where you would be in this story. What matters is where you're headed in the story. In this story, would you be going towards Christ? Would you be fully aware of your complete need of Him? Would you leave all things behind and follow Him? Friends, this is the road map of grace. Leave all behind and follow Christ. Grace is only given to, know, to those who know and understand their desperate need for the forgiveness that can only be found in Christ, would you pray with me, Lord? Reveal our need for Christ today, Lord. Help us see how we have no standing in a righteousness found in ourselves. Give us a righteousness that is not our own. Give us the righteousness of Christ, Father. Kill our pride. Help us see, Lord, that there is one who is righteous, and that is Jesus. And his sacrifice made it possible for the unrighteous to be found righteous. Give us faith. May we be a church that is driven by faith. And work out your salvation in the hearts of every man and women and children in this building today.